We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. So today's session is brought to us by Mary Ann Bogdanoff. Mary Ann has many years of clinical experience in psychiatric and substance use issues. She previously worked as a therapist at Summit Oaks Hospital an acute care psychiatric and substance use hospital. I'm sorry, let me start over because I got, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Marianne. That's so okay. let's start again. Mary Ann Badenoch is responsible for providing direct services, clinical support and supervision of specialists related to working on the health line with the Partnership to End Addiction. In addition, Mary Ann oversees the online support community for parents and caregivers of teen and adult children struggling with substance use issues. Mary Ann also serves as a subject matter expert for content development and online learning. She has many years of clinical experience in psychiatric and substance use issues, and she previously worked as a therapist at Summit Oaks Hospital, an acute care psychiatric and substance use hospital. She also maintains a small private therapy practice specializing in substance and gambling addictions and working with both individuals and family members. Marianne is also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas and New Jersey and a licensed mental health counselor in the states of New York and Florida. She's a member of the National Board for Certified Counselors and maintains a master's addictions counselor credential. She is also trained in gambling addictions and provides educational presentations and individual counseling on behalf of the New York Problem Gambling Council. So without further ado, I turn it over to Ms. Marianne Bednock. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate that. And thanks for patiently listening to all that, everybody. Um, And I really do appreciate um, being asked to present here today um, with um, with this wonderful online retreat. Uh, It's always a pleasure to be able to do this um, for um, this organization. And um, and just thanks for the folks that are here um, helping to facilitate this today and for our wonderful translator too. Really excited to have this translated into Spanish today because one of the things that we have is um, wonderful resources and services um, for our Spanish speaking languages at the Partnership to End Addiction. And uh, one thing I'll be um, telling you a little bit about later is a a free course that kind of is a great next step after this presentation, um, should you like to learn some more. And we have that in English and we also just rolled out our first phase of the Spanish language one. So I'm really happy to be here and it's just good timing that I can um, present that to you a little bit later on today. Um, So I I really don't know when you're coming here if you've had any any past experience or any education in, in um, something called craft. Um, and I'm gonna explain a little bit more about what that is in the next couple of slides. But today we're gonna be talking about kind of how, how we help guide families 
of teens and young adults using these certain crafts, techniques, and skills. So, okay, so for today, what will our focus be? And again, I'll talk for about 45 minutes or so. I'd like to give some time at the end for your questions. And, you know, I'm happy to help with anything I can in those last few minutes if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about. Um, so what we're going to focus on today is kind of introducing you to some effective communication um, techniques. Um, and those techniques are really very helpful and evidence-based in how, um, you know, how you want to address challenging behaviors with your child. Um, you know, I say challenging behaviors because I understand that some people here may have instances where their child might be using substances. Craft was developed for that um, to work with um, motivating people for treatment, but it's also really helpful for just any kind of behavioral issues that you might be encountering. So it, um, I just wanted to mention that. So you'll learn a few simple techniques that you can just start applying right today after this presentation. And, um, and then I'm going to offer you this, the partnership skill building course. That's a free course that you can register for after the presentation. So what is community reinforcement and family training? That's the acronym CRAFT, okay? Um, it was developed in the 1970s by Dr. Robert Myers, and it's a behavior therapy model. Um, it, it was developed to help treat addiction, which is changing behaviors. Um, and it's been around for a long time. And just really in the last couple of years, it's really taken a foothold and people um, are starting to incorporate that into their therapy practices. I've even seen this technique coming into treatment programs. So it's really kind of picking up steam at this point. And really what it's all about is the role that families and parents play in helping their loved one. So in this case, that parents play a very powerful role in helping to engage their teen to change behaviors, seek treatment, that type of thing. And, and I, I mentioned to you that it's a really important thing to, to talk about how, how much power parents have, because oftentimes when people come to our helpline or the partnership for help, if we ask them to fill out a quick little survey about how they're doing. Most of the time, if we have a scale of one to five, it's called the Likert scale, one being the least, five being the most. In terms of their confidence as a parent, typically they'll score it around one or two. So clearly there are times when you're a parent with no manual attached to this job that you feel very, um, very confused about how to do something. Um, and how to approach a situation that's challenging, especially with a teen. So this craft offers skills and techniques to help you communicate more effectively with your loved one. Um, and it includes limit setting and allowing for consequences for unwanted behavior, and then also rewarding for positive behaviors um, in a way to reduce unwanted behaviors and also um, to able, uh, able to see more positive behaviors by reinforcing that. Um, I won't be talking about that particular aspect of craft in this presentation, but that's exactly what the course that I'm gonna send you the link to and, and offer that link to, that does cover that section, which is really important. The thing about craft too, which is the last thing that parents usually wanna hear when they wanna help their child, is that it's really important that the parents um, 
take care of themselves. And it's usually the last thing the parent wants to even talk about. But we do really emphasize self-care because with self-care comes a, brings a, it brings a calmer parent to that conversation. And that really can make all the difference in this working or not working. So how does craft work? Um, it is an overall, it's a positive approach. So it is not a tough love approach, which really oftentimes or most times does not work. And most parents don't feel comfortable with that approach because they feel it's too harsh and unloving. Um, so it steers clear of confrontation, which usually is met with resistance. So it doesn't really promote good conversation. Uh, it's culturally sensitive. Really, craft works with your family's beliefs and values. It's really a matter of the family deciding what's important to them, what they can allow for consequences, what types of limits they wanted to put into place, okay? It emphasizes learning new approaches to communicate with your child and also using those positive reinforcers or rewards to encourage the behavior you wanna see and then setting limits and consequences to reduce the unwanted behaviors um, and also allowing for natural consequences. And again, that's always up to the situation and the parent's level of comfort for allowing for those natural consequences. Okay, so we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So CRAFT has three main goals. One is to help a child get into treatment. And again, you might be here saying, well, I don't need, my child doesn't need to go into treatment. I just need them to kind of like, you know, communicate better with me, um, follow the rules in a better way, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I would say it, it helps for a child to get into treatment. That's what it was designed for. And that might be their willingness to even just see a weekly counselor with the family. It doesn't have to mean going into a residential rehab program, um, but it could be. Or it could be just helping a child be motivated to comply more with what you're trying to get them to do or not do um, in their lives. Um, number two, it re it's there to reduce problematic behavior, substance use, whether a child has engaged with treatment or not. Um, and then three, it, it really, the, one of the main goals of this, I think, and the most important one is it improves the lives of the parents and the rest of the family. And you might say, well, why would that be so important? It's the kid that we're talking about here, right? Um, but it's that trickle down effect that I see so many times in families when the parents start kind of learning this communication technique and start using it and calm down a little bit in the situation. It oftentimes has a positive effect on the child with or without intervention with the child directly. So it really can have that trickle down effect when the parents start addressing um, their own, um, you know, what, whatever's going on with them first and working with this communication technique. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about how um, using craft can help. This is really key and it's very powerful. I, and I, so I really have this at the top here. The thing that craft helps a parent do is to approach the situation with their child with understanding and compassion. And that's a hard thing to do when you're really feeling angry with your child, okay? Because they're not doing something or they're being disrespectful or all those things that cause a parent to become defensive as well. So 
a very, very important thing that we always start with in terms of this shift in your perspective on the issue that's happening with your child right now. You can think about whatever is happening with your child right now. What we're trying to do is to seek to understand the problem, problematic behavior, okay? We're seeking to understand the why behind this happening. We know that one answer does not fit all situations. So the tough love strategies, it's just, they're just not the best advice. Every family operates different. Um, we give parents permission to just take a pause and consider next best steps instead of reacting to a situation. That's something that parents can learn to do. And it makes sometimes all the difference in the world. We talk about enabling versus helping. A lot of the, uh, enabled is a very overused word. You're enabling them. You're just enabling them by doing that. Enabling does happen, but there's a difference between enabling and helping. A parent can be actively engaged with trying to help their child in a positive way without enabling. That is possible. You do not need to detach from your child in order to, in order to help them. Um, you can remain connected to your child and also um, not be enabling them. So parents can understand that they have options and they also can exercise patience in the situation. Oftentimes, again, it would be lovely if everything was a quick fix in, your, in whatever's going on with your child, but typically these are kind of longer term engagements. It's a process that takes time. So patience is really your friend. Um, and, and kind of taking care of yourself is important because you need to kind of bring the best self, your best self to the situation with your child. And it might be a longer haul um, in order to do that. And so um, with craft also, you know, it's offering you options to help your child problem solve. So you're engaging your child in problem solving um, so that they have a vested interest in what you're trying to do to affect change. So here's a like a, I don't even know what this dessert is. It's like some kind of apple a la mode or something, some kind of deliciousness there on the screen. And, and I put that there because some of you might look at that and say, I'd like to take a bite of that right now. And others would say, nah, I'm not really a fan of apple, but if that was chocolate, I would dig in at this very moment, right? So, what we're trying to understand is the why behind what your child's doing. So I'm saying the why behind substance use. Behaviors do make sense, okay? Behaviors do make sense. Behaviors that are rewarding get reinforced and get repeated. I go to the restaurant, I have that delicious apple thing there. And when I come back the next time to the restaurant, I want that again because it was really good. That behavior was rewarding. It's got reinforced and it's going to get repeated. So the question is, how is the substance use, if that's what's happening for your child right now, benefiting your child? It's a question that most parents don't really think of. It could also be if your child's not using substances, I just want to create a caveat for that. How is the behavior? that they're exhibiting, somehow benefiting them so they're repeating it. That's an interesting thought too. But typically there is a why, there's always the why. When I work with patients, the first thing I ask them is not how they're gonna stop doing this. I wanna find out 
Well, why are they doing it? What's it been doing for them? What does it do for them? What are they trying to get out of it? What are they, what, what is it doing for them that they're repeating that? So then you'll kind of understand what they're trying to address with the substances. And so this is really probably the most important first step that a parent can take. And that's you sitting down and thinking about this and you sitting down and even taking a pad of paper out and writing some things down. What you're considering is the why. Why is my child doing this? Why are they behaving this way? So you wanna create that list of whys. You may have some ideas. Always like to ask, think about some certain aspects of their life, whether it be what's happening in the family right now. Has there been a change in the family? Has there been trauma in their past? Have they had difficulties in school? Have they been bullied? Have they had academic challenges? Have there been a, a recent move? Has there been a loss or a divorce? Um, you know, are they are they struggling with anything that you can think of? Was there a relationship breakout? You know, breakup. Um, have they lost some friends recently? So you're thinking about all the reasons why they're doing this um, to address something else. The other thing to think about is: is there any reason for me to believe that there might be an underlying mental health issue my child's trying to address? through using substances, because oftentimes that is a reason why people use substances. They're trying to address underlying anxiety or depression, all right, or some other, some other underlying mental health issue that's creating uh, really uncomfortable feelings for them, all right? So, you know, think about what basic needs might be being met for them through using the substances. It could be, it addresses stress, it addresses my insecurity, it, it's maybe it's peer pressure. Um, they it's to comfort. A lot of people use substances to comfort themselves, right? They want to they want to comfort themselves. They might use it because they're bored and it's thrill seeking. Um, they want to be happy, um, you know. So there's all kinds of reasons why um, you know a person would use substances to meet some basic needs. So you're really what you're really doing is kind of starting the process by you brainstorming and and with a co-parent or partner about what might be the reason why your child is using substances or they're exhibiting these behaviors and and brainstorm about that um, with with maybe another person that knows the child. And then think about some alternatives. What do you think would might be helpful for this person if you believe they're using substances to address something else? So that's the other idea is to start thinking about what would be a healthy alternative to doing that. Um, it's not that you're deciding that for your child, but you're thinking about some ideas for that. Sometimes parents will say, I have no idea. I have no idea why they're doing this. I really don't. Um, you may feel unsure about that. That's okay. And I think it's also important if you can do this, but this takes, it really will take a moment where you are feeling calm to say to your child, because what you're going to ask them is a question with genuine curiosity. So I really am curious, you know, why is it, you know, what is it about marijuana? What does that do for you? You know, you're not condoning it. You can say, I'm not condoning that you're using it, but I'm just interested in understanding what it's doing for you. If you can ask them in this kind of tone with genuine curiosity, they would be surprised probably by that question. And they might even give you some answers. They might say, 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, that might be a typical response. Well, okay. Um, so you don't, you really don't even know what it's doing for you. Do you have any, do you have any um, ideas what it might be doing for you? So you can explore it a little bit with them. If you're willing to stay in that place of bringing your calm voice and tone to the conversation, you're not telling them to stop and you're also not condoning it. You're just wanting to find out some information. You're being in a detective here. And if you can gather some clues, then you can start thinking about how can I help this child um, move on to something more uh, healthier alternative. So here's an example. I know, I know you don't want to stop using marijuana and I'm, and I'm wondering what it does for you. You, know, you can, you can, they can say, I'm not going to stop this. It's fine. It's great. It works for me. I know you don't want to stop it and just help me understand what does it do for you? What is it doing for you? That's a good question. So enabling versus helping. What is enabling? Enabling is acting in ways that reinforce unwanted behaviors. Um, some people, people, parents do a lot of things. They cover up for their child. They call in work to say their child's sick when the child is actually hungover or never got home last night. So they don't lose their job, you know, protect, protect, protect. Um, so enabling is, you know, giving them money when they're demanding money from you, even though, you know, they're using it for the wrong thing. So those things would be enabling types of behavior. The misconceptions about enabling is that, if you show your child who's struggling any love or kindness, that's enabling. Um, no, it's not. It's actually really vital. When a person's struggling, that's when they need your love and kindness even more because they know they're struggling. Um, they know they're hurting people. And if you ask most people, they would say, I don't really want to be doing this. And I really don't want to hurt my family. Um, so uh, and most people, like I, I mean, this has come up more than once. So I know that this is true for probably most people. When their family is there for them, when they're struggling, oftentimes they'll say, if it wasn't for my family, I probably wouldn't have, you know, stopped using or, or gotten sober or whatever it is um, that the family was there to try to help them with. So the family involvement and the family being there is really vital to the individual who's struggling. Um, you know, forcing compliance with interventions or threats they really don't. It just doesn't work. It actually makes a person's self-esteem go down the toilet. Um, it's already kind of there anyway, and then it's just more negative reinforcement for them. Um, detaching with love from your child. Um, I mean, you know, to some extent, you know, people, you do sometimes need to create some limits in terms of um, how much you'll do for them or, you know, if they're living with you and they're disruptive in the household, maybe they do need to live somewhere else, you know, so, but detaching with love, it's, I would say it's more like staying connected, um, staying connected with love with them, uh, letting them pick rock, rock bottom. I don't know too many parents that are comfortable doing this because rock bottom could be death, just quite simply stated. I don't know how many people would be willing to allow their child to hit that level. So I think most people wanna to try to help people before they hit rock bottom. Opposite of enabling is, is act actively and reinforcing positive behaviors, noticing what they're doing well. It's just, it's, it's just a psychology thing. When you notice people doing things right and you're noticing those things, those behaviors get reinforced and it actually reinforces their self-esteem. 
Um, you set limits for how you will help and you, you are consistent and you also allow for consequences. And this is hard for a lot of parents because there's inconsistency sometimes with this. You really do, when you set a limit, you gotta mean it. So you've gotta enforce it. You can't give second chance. Okay, okay, one more time, one more time. Like that kind of thing happens. You really have to make a decision when you're setting a limit that you will enforce it, that it, you will be consistent with doing that. And you will allow for consequences as you are comfortable. Um, and then having patience, even noticing small improvements, just small things that your child's doing. Hey, thanks. You took the garbage out this morning. And I really appreciate that. Even though they're supposed to do it anyway, it's okay to notice it and give them a little verbal pat in the back or a hug or whatever you want to do, or send them an emoji or something. Just keep sending them love for the things they're doing well. You're watering that garden and you know, you don't need to feed the weeds over there. Okay. And, and again, all along, there's this overlay of self-care. It's you taking care of yourself while you're practicing these things with your child. So you're bringing that calmer you to the situation. So common conversation traps, I'm going to kind of tick through these a little quickly. You can go back to them. Um, if I ask, there's two, two slides of this. These are common conversation traps. When we look at these, most people would be like, I do them all. <laughs> and we probably have in our time. So, you know, we lecture, right? These are common, com these are common traps, right? We lecture. We're talking at the child rather than having a conversation with them. We go into lecture mode doesn't really have a productive ending to it. We do a Q&A kind of thing. It sounds like an interrogation, you know? So all they have to do is answer the question with one word, or in some cases, you know, they just don't even, you know, they don't even answer it at all. So the Q&A, the kind of interrogation style um, doesn't, doesn't usually work. Scare tactics, you know, it, actually by the time kids are teens, they typically don't feel too afraid by any kind of threats. They actually feel oftentimes that they're immune from anything bad happening to them. It's just where their brains are at in the development. And so here we have labeling. And that's a really important thing. I've seen some, I mean, unfortunately, in the heat of a moment, when you're not feeling like that calm parent and you, and you, you know, you're in a situation where you are not, you're reacting, um, you know, you can say things you don't really mean, and that really can be hurtful. So it's labeling. Do you want to, you know, you know, you're just such an addict or what a druggie you are. Um, labeling somebody like that is really self-defeating. Um, so, you know, instead of setting up, you know, instead of talking about like, you know, you are a, you can talk about the behavior, you know, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't like the way you're using marijuana. Not like, you know, you're, oh, you, you want to be known as a pothead. So it's kind of staying away from labeling people is really important. And blaming, I mean, unfortunately, when a child is struggling, a parents are struggling too, and parents' lives are affected too. So you'll hear sometimes, you know, they're blaming things from going wrong because of the kid. The kid, if it wasn't for this kid doing this, we would be able to do X, Y, and Z. You know, we have to cancel our dinner plans because we can't trust leaving you home alone and it really does crush a child's motivation to change behavior because, again, they're probably not looking to let you down on, and make your life miserable, but it only reminds them and reinforces the idea that they actually are. Um, silent treatment and ignoring, it's kind of a 
passive aggressive approach. Some people do that. I want to just say that there's one thing of saying, um, time out. Um, I'm not going to respond to the situation very well. It's getting out of control. We need some time out. That's a different type of silent time. That's some downtime there. And that's actually a good idea. Come back to the conversation when you feel calmer. But if you decide that you do the whole, I'm not talking to you kind of thing, um, you know, because, at, you know, then it's really kind of, that's, a, that's just a very passive aggressive type of way of handling things. And it really isn't productive. And it doesn't really show people healthy ways of um, dealing with problems um, and talking through problems. Uh, sometimes I think parents just get afraid of their kids. I do understand that. It's scary when a kid is kind of running the household and you just are afraid um, of even approaching anything because they could implode on you and you just don't want to deal with it. So a lot of parents do avoid their child. I see that happening a lot too. Um, and so what we're talking about is kind of that middle ground of, you know, of, of, of being assertive and not passive or aggressive with the child. And so here's a quick little thing that you'll probably pick up today and, and think about a lot. You know, the red lights and green lights, right? So real simple. When you're trying to engage with your child and talk about something, you know, when your child is willing to listen, perhaps responds constructively, and though maybe, but not necessarily, is willing to talk about any changes, you got a green light. The child is sitting with you right now and receptive to whatever conversation you're having with them. That means you can continue on with the conversation. The light is red. When your child is destructively engaged with you, they're yelling, they're cursing, they're going silent, they're not listening. Uh, you, at that point in time, it's probably best to stay in control by saying, this conversation isn't going anywhere. I'm going to step away for a while, let us cool down, and we will re revisit it at a time when it's calmer. And that keeps you in control, um, and it allows some time to um, calm down. Because if you stay in that conversation, which a lot of people like to do, it just starts ratcheting up to this one's talking over that one and that one. And there's just nothing productive happening in that conversation. It's a waste of time. Okay. So I'm going to just oh, um, share a couple of things with you today. Oars, right? Like rowing your boat with oars. So you'll remember that. Um, and each, this is an acronym for open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summarizing. There are four different techniques for communicating with your child, all right? They don't need to be used in that order or all together. Sometimes you might use one, sometimes you might use all four. There's no order to it necessarily, but I'm just gonna introduce you to a couple techniques that might resonate with you and you might find yourself using this week. Okay, so open-ended questions. These are, these are questions that cannot typically be answered with a one-word answer. You know, so if you ask a question like, what concerns you most? What would you like to be different? You can see how somebody can't just answer that with their yes or no in one word. So if you ask some questions that are not easily answered with a yes or no, you're going to encourage more conversation to happen. What concerns you most about what's going on right now? What would you like to be different here? And let them talk, right? We want to get the kid to talk. The more they talk, the more we understand about what's going on in their internal world. Open-ended questions invite them to talk more, giving you the ability to listen and learn from your child. Your job 
isn't necessarily to tell your child what they need to do yet. It's to listen to what's going on with them and learn from them so that you can assess what's going on and then have a better, uh, more productive conversation in, in solution finding. It sets a collaborative tone as you communicate. It's more interesting in what your child is going through, what's happening for them. Um, Open-ended questions should be inviting information from your child and then making suggestions based on what they're telling you about. And so here's an example, um, open versus closed, okay? So you can kind of get a feel for this. Don't you feel bad that your principal called you into the office? What was your reaction when the principal called you into the office? So one could be answered with, no, I don't care. Or what was your reaction? You're going to get a little more out of them if they're willing to, you know, I'm, I'm saying this doesn't always go swimmingly, you know, like they might just decide not to talk to you in that moment, but you're going to encourage more conversation that way. Aren't you upset when you see your grades? How is it for you when you see those grades? How is it for them? How do you think it is? Of course, they're upset about it. They might tell you they don't care. I doubt that. Um, most likely they do care. And to ask them, how is it for you? You're not judging it. You're just asking them, how is it for you when you see those grades, right? Affirmations. We can't get enough of those. Adults need them all the time, <laughs> right? Kids really need them a lot because growing up isn't easy. So affirmations, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to overdo it, but you definitely want them to know when you're noticing something right. Remind them, always reminding your child of their strengths while they're struggling is so important because they forget. At this time, if they're struggling, they don't remember their strengths. They don't remember what they're good at. Um, you know, you need to remind them because you know them best. So, you know, affirmations do help increase the behaviors you I noticed that you did this. Thank you so much. I noticed that, you know, you're really dressing nicely. I noticed you shaved. I noticed whatever it is that they're doing, notice it and let them know you're noticing it. Um, and, and make sure it's coming from the heart and be specific, you know? So I noticed when you did this thing. So it's not just like, good job. It's like, great job on whatever it is, on, on getting, you know, getting, um, studying for that test or getting a B on that test or whatever it is, be a little more specific. So affirmations acknowledge the, your, the person's effort. They, you state appreciation. Notice your child is doing something right. Because all we probably, a lot of times when there's things going on in the household that are negative, we're focused on that. Shift your perspective to start also balancing that with noticing what they're doing right. Offer that compliment that's more specific and then always express hope caring and support. Because when a person's struggling, they need to know that there's hope that somebody cares about them, even though they're going through this, and that support is there. And reflections, it's part of active listening. You'll, you'll see that word sometimes, active listening is what we're talking about. It's really listening to seek to understand the other instead of what your own agenda is. So you're really always letting that person know you heard them. It's validating that person doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It means you heard them. So you're repeating and rephrasing what you think your child has said. And then that person always feels like, yes, yes, you understand me. You get me. You've heard me. I can't begin to tell you how often people just crave to be heard, really heard, 
and not judged for whatever they're saying. Um, and oftentimes that's why they go to therapy. <laughs> so, but they don't need to, they can have a, a loving person in their life, be that for them. But you can just repeat back to them. I, I think this is what I'm hearing. Actually, I think it's on the next slide. If you can go to the next slide, there might be an example of that. Yeah. So some of these kind of start using this language, start incorporating this kind of language. People really relate to it. So I think this is what I'm hearing. So you feel like da 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 da. So it sounds like, I use that a lot, sounds like, or I'm wondering if, you know, you're wondering if this is what, you know, da da da, or I'm wondering if what you're saying is something, 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 and let them either correct you, no, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. Well, what, is, you know, so let them clarify if you haven't heard them right. It really means that you're taking the time to make sure that you've heard them and that they can clarify, they can clarify if they need to, or they can confirm, yes, you heard me. Even if it's not something that you're condoning or that you want them to be doing, it's all a matter of your actively listening to what they're saying to you and that you're reflecting that back to them. And so when summarizing, if you're at the end of a conversation and in the, in the e-learning course that we're going to be offering you, you'll learn more about something called the information sandwich. It's kind of a technique for setting up a conversation with your child where there's a difficult topic that you want to discuss. So you do it in a way that could potentially lead to a better conversation. And that's through something called the information sandwich. At the end of the information sandwich, you're always summarizing summarizing what's been discussed. You want to make sure that the communication has been clear. So let me see if I understand so far what you're saying to me. Here's what I've heard. Tell me if I've missed anything. If there's some ambivalence, which there will be when anybody's trying to make any changes, I want to, I don't want to, is ambivalence. I want to, I don't want to. So you can say, oh, on the one hand, you really would like to stop doing this, but on the other hand, whatever else. So they're conflicted. You can actually validate that they're feeling conflicted being concise, ending with an invitation. Did I miss anything? If that's accurate, what are the other points we want to consider here? Is there anything else you wanted to add or, or, you know, or correct for me or something like that? So you're always giving them a little more invitation to tell you more. And so, as I mentioned in the very beginning, as I'm talking through this, sure, it's easy for me to do it because it's not, I'm not talking about my child right now. Um, and you know, I, I don't have that emotional connection that you do with your child. Um, so I do know it's harder to, to have these kinds of conversations when you're really feeling emotional and upset and worried and concerned and frazzled and all that stuff. And that's why this thing called self-care is really not an option. It's a necessity. When you're raising children, especially teens and young adults, taking care of yourself is a necessity. So it doesn't have to be, you know, I, I, everybody has busy schedules, but it's a little something you're doing for yourself to help you calm your state of mind. It could be in the moment or it just could be a regular thing to help keep you calmer and have your and keep your mood improved. And so when you're having trouble managing those emotions, you can think of the word stop, okay? Because this is really something that you'll find yourself thinking about as a stop sign. I should have put a stop sign there instead of a hand, but let's just think of stop. What does that mean? The acronym, it's stop and hit the pause button. I feel like I'm gonna just blow up right now. Stop and hit the pause button. Not an easy thing to do, 
but really important and could be a game changer for you. Take a deep breath. Just one is enough to kind of stop yourself. Observe what's happening. Oh my God, I really feel everything. My temperature's rising. I can feel the tightness in my chest. I can feel myself starting to want to implode. You know, that's how it's affecting me. And then proceed with the actions that you want to, for who you want to be as a parent. I don't want to bring this self to my child. I'm going to take a moment right now. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to call somebody and talk and vent, cry or whatever I need to do before I approach my child. Okay. Um, So stop. It doesn't have to be long, but it could be a game changer. So envision that big red stop sign when you're triggered by your child. Take that deep breath. You can say, I I need to take a moment. You can always say that. I did that with my um, son in high school. When I could see everything escalating, I would say, ah, I'm just, I just need to take a bathroom break is what I'd say. Because no one ever followed me into the bathroom. Okay. And then it gives you time to just go, I got to stop. I got to think here and I don't want to react. I want to stay in control. Okay. When you don't start yelling, when you yell, you give your power away. When you're able to stay calm and talk like this, you keep the power. Just remember that. So you take a deep breath, calm down, consider other things to help ground you, like we, you know, taking a walk, talking with a friend. You're observing what's happened to me physically, emotionally, my thought. And then what do I want to do? And sometimes the answer is no action. Don't do anything right now. Just maybe sleep on it. Okay. If it's not a crisis, you don't have to respond and react to everything right away. If you don't have to have a solution right away, then maybe sleep on it. It's okay to give it a little time to think it through. And so as we're kind of nearing the end of this, um, this presentation, I wanted to let you know about our um, skill building course. So we have one in Spanish and we have one in English. And really the course is, help, is gonna help you um, learn some of the skills that we've talked about in a little bit of a deeper way and also introduce you some additional skills, which is that limit setting and boundary setting, which is really a very important part of this. So I would encourage you, they're free. You just register for it and you can go ahead and start it at any time. It's a self-managed kind of thing. So you can do one module, come back to something another time and take your time and walk through it. And I think it would, for anyone that's ever taken it, it's been extremely helpful to introduce you and help you work a little bit with these concepts. It's an interactive type of learning uh, module. Also want to let you know that we do have online support community meetings, and these are for just parents um, that are concerned about their children who might be experimenting with or dependent on substances. And our trained coaches, um, they facilitate these meetings. Um, I'm, I provide clinical oversight for them. Um, and they're, um, the English-speaking meetings are Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings at um, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time. and Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern time and 10 a.m. Central time. We have a Spanish speaking meeting that just started this May. And that meeting meets weekly at 8 p.m. Eastern time and 7 p.m. Central time on Wednesday evenings. And that meeting is facilitated by our helpline specialists who are bilingual. They are excellent meetings. You can go to these meetings. You You can be with other parents that are going through what you're going through. And most people will say, ah, at least I know I'm not alone. And I've gotten so much help from the coaches who have been there and have learned these skills and techniques and also from the other parents 
um, it, they're real, it's really a great support for you, the parent who's going through this, and it can really help you um, just stay supported and stay connected to other people that are also experiencing this. So sometimes it's just so hard when you're going through these things because you don't feel like there's anyone to turn to. Um, and this is a place to turn to. Um, and then other resources, the material from, from uh, this craft material was adapted by, um, from the parents 20 minute guide. It is only in English. I just want to make a note of that. Um, but that you can go on our website and find the, and, and order the 20 minute guide. If you'd like to read that, I think beyond addiction, there's a book called beyond addiction. That's a great book to read too, because it talks about, it doesn't have to be an addiction issue, but it does talk about this more loving, compassionate approach to working and helping your child. Um, and so that to me is a good companion piece to go with a parent's 20 minute guide. And then our, our, um, our web website is just chock full of resources um, and services in both English and Spanish. So if you go on drugfree.org, um, you can noodle around and you will find a lot of information, um, if, especially if you're looking for something specific. That was a lot to move through in a limited period of time. But I want you to know that if you decide, hey, that information was great, it was quick, I don't know if I captured everything, you can, um, you can go ahead and sign up for the skills building courses and that will actually repeat some of the stuff that I've talked about today. What's nice about it is also it helps you by, um, it will be after you're gonna interact with it with your own situation. So like with the why behind, you'll come up with some ideas and you'll be recording that information. So you'll actually start thinking through um, some of the stuff that we've talked about when you're in that course. Um, so it can be super helpful. Um, so I hope that was at least a good start um, to learning a little bit more about craft and a couple things that are that you can even start doing today. Um, and I can answer any questions in the last few minutes that we're here together. If you have any questions or anything you're like, where is this again or whatever, just email me. I'm, I'm good about getting back to people. So feel free. You are so kind to be here today and, and you obviously are showing up because you want to be here and um, you may be interested in this just for general purposes, or you might be interested in this because you're trying to help a loved one. Um, I'm glad to provide any help I can, I can provide for you. Um, but yes, any, any other questions about this or. I just want to say thank you and how much I appreciated the fact that that support for parents is there instead of blaming parents. It's just a totally different approach. And um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Ross, uh, Ross Green, who says kids will do well if they can. And I think people will do well if they can. And this really falls right in line with that philosophy. So thank you for your message today. Yeah, thanks, Paula. It's so true with humans. You know, very true. And pets, too, by the way. <laughs> it's really true. Um, we do better. Um, we do better when we're loved um, and when we feel loved for sure. Yeah. Especially when we're struggling. Great conversation. Great to know that there um, are options out there. I um, think about when my brother was um, still alive and that this, this model would have been um, really helpful for my family. Cause I know for us, sometimes we uh, struggled with um, really where to stand and how to support. And so 
um, this would have been, I just think about for my parents, this would have been a really good program to kind of um, remind them that it's okay to still love and um, still kind of support through that. So again, we thank you for bringing that message. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to get a chance to learn more about craft and to dive into um, getting a chance to see some of these sessions. I definitely encourage you to check those out. Um, it, it really is it really is a, a, a mind-changing experience. And so um, we're hopeful that that really is helpful for you and your family. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.